0: Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel if you go to YouTube. You can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden, and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the the most recent um, live stream of our of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. This week's worship is the second week in Advent, and we have two scriptures that we're really looking at. We're going into the prophet Isaiah who is uh, lifted up often uh, strongly in Advent and we'll be checking out a really famous passage in Isaiah 11, the first 10 verses of that. And then we'll be also looking at Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, which is the story of John the Baptist. And um, remembering that the beginning of Advent really is looking towards the second coming, and John is somebody who shows up in all four Gospels preparing the way for Jesus. And we're kind of holding together uh, Isaiah and we're holding together John the Baptist in their visions for the future. And I lift up three things that there are these differences in tenses, so be listening for that. Lift, lift up as well that um, it's a time of transition, which is something that we can all relate to. And then the final thing is that there is a call to accountability, particularly for those of us who follow Jesus, those in in Jesus' church. So this message is about tenses, it's about transitions, and it's about accountability as we turn our attention to the prophet Isaiah, the 11th chapter, and Matthew's version of John the Baptist in chapter 3. Well, let's get to it. Let's join our hearts in a moment of prayer. Root of Jesse, Prince of Peace, stir up your power within us that in this time we may await with abundant expectation the fulfillment of your eternal presence. For you live and you reign among us. By your Spirit, open our ears and fill us with the mysteries of your ancient love. For you our maker, our savior, our giver of life, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, here we are now, officially, in December. This is what I like to think of as the warm, cuddly Christmas sweater scripture season that we're looking for, the sermons that make us feel just fuzzy. Um, We want to be felt made to feel good as we're looking towards Christmas to come. And in a sense, when you heard Kurt read that Isaiah scripture, I think that's what comes to mind, that idea of the shoot coming from the root of Jesse and those images of the calf lying down with the lion. But then you turn to the gospel reading. And you get what I like to call Crazy Uncle John. And he's calling people to repent, and he's telling them they're broods of vipers. This is another jarring Advent text that we bump into when we're looking for that perfect holiday Christmas card family. We get Crazy Uncle John... Wearing clothes that are several hundred years out of style, right? So just imagine your crazy uncle who is wearing the polyester leisure suit. And he's eating bugs and his beard is sticky with honey. And that's where we are on this advent, somewhere between the warm, cozy winter sweater of Isaiah and John. And we all need to hear. Even though we want the Christmas sweater, we need to hear from Crazy Uncle John every year, all of us. And so as I was holding together these scriptures today, I came up with kind of three things that I wanted to lift up. First was about tenses, you know, tenses, past, present, and future. The second is about transitions, when you're moving from one thing to another And the third is about accountability. So we're going to talk about tenses, we're going to talk about transitions, and we're going to talk about accountability. So first, tenses. The Old Testament prophets and the New Testament writers, not 100%, but largely the majority, write in different tenses when it comes to the reign or the realm of the kingdom of God. The Old Testament normally writes in the future tense. The New Testament largely writes about it in the present tense. And when you read through the New Testament, you find that the earliest Christians, the people who were telling these stories to one another in their little communities, and then eventually said, hey, we got to write this stuff down, which became the Bible that we have today. They heard echoes of the Old Testament prophets in the life of Jesus in the words that he said, in the way that he carried himself, in what he did. Another way of saying this is that the early Christians saw prophets like Isaiah as pointing to Jesus. It was Isaiah's future, but it was there present near past. And all of Jesus' birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, And Ascension stands in line and stands on the shoulders of the Judaism of the prophets like Isaiah. The Judaism that Jesus spent his whole life living in. Which again was future oriented. That time when. And that's what Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 11 was all about. What it will look like when. When it happens, when the time comes, so that you'll know when the then is now. And this is very similar, if you remember, uh, what we read last week from chapter 2 of the prophet Isaiah. Don't ask me, because I'm already thinking about next week. But what happens is Matthew lifts up a guy who straddles the then and the now who's got one foot in Isaiah's world and one foot in the New Testament community's world. This is John the Baptist. He is part then, when, and part here, and now. And what we didn't read from the epistle from Paul, that was the, uh, the epistle reading in the letter to Romans in the 15th chapter, is he's telling this little community of Christians in Rome... Okay, so the then has become now. Now what? If the old hope has been realized, what difference does it make? That what's supposed to happen in the future is now. And Paul's message is that, yes, the salvation, it has come through. It has come from the Jews. But now Jesus has been faithful where Israel has not. And let's be honest, Jesus is faithful where we too are not. It's not just about them. It's about every one of us. And those promises that were made to Abraham, remember all the nations would stream to the house of the Lord and would glorify and praise God. They're coming true. And he's seeing it. He's talking to the Christians, largely Gentile Christians in Rome. He's saying all people are now living in the light of God's mercy ruled by King Jesus. And this is what it looks like when the then, that time way out on the horizon, is here and now where we plant our feet firmly. When the future becomes the present. When eschatology at the end of time becomes part of history. And now the kingdom of God belongs to those who yearn and will to see God's reign here and now. And that sounds good. I want that. That sounds good to me, much better than listening to the news, doesn't it? Yeah. I want that time when God's will is being enacted. And so that's the little pieces between this straddling of the tenses, the then, the will be, and the here and now. So I want to talk a little bit about the transitions that are taking place as we straddle these two tenses. Right? John, in having one world in both, or one foot in both of these worlds, is living in a time of transitions. We call that a liminal space, which comes from the Latin word uh, for a threshold. It is, uh, you're kind of out of one room, but not entirely into the next yet. You're betwixt and between. And guess what? Transitions are not usually smooth. If your life is anything like mine, transitions are usually pretty bumpy. You do a lot of learning by doing, or sometimes learning by failing at your doing. And John here has one foot in the old age that's coming to a close and another foot in the new age that is still being born. And John is actually a really important figure. He is in the lead-in to Jesus in all four of the gospel. And it is really a tough spot to be in where you're straddling two worlds and trying to transition from one to the other, where you are living in two places at the same time. Just uh, ask somebody who's trying to run for public office as an independent. It's not easy to be in both. John is to be commended and to be respected, and yet somehow he's not a disciple either. He's important, but he's not center. He's neither fully in nor he's fully out. John, I think, embodies the confusion that happens when you are in transition, when you are straddling two different worlds, the confusion when you find yourself in a liminal space, when you've left one, but you haven't fully entered the other. And I know you all have had this experience before when you're making a transition in your life. When one thing is kind of behind you, but it's still holding on, And you're looking forward to the thing that's yet to come, but you're not quite there yet. And what John is doing is he's mixing these images and these words of judgment, like an axe lying at the root, ready to cut down the tree that doesn't bear fruit. Like the winnowing fork that's there, ready to burn the chaff. So he's got these judgment images and these images of hope. One more powerful than I is still coming. And he's going to baptize you with the spirit and with fire. And he will gather in God's grain. And you notice, interestingly, he uses fire both as hope and as judgment. It does both. And so I think we can all agree that these transitional times, these liminal spaces, are confusing. And John in this liminal space, is living at the intersection, the juxtaposition between law and gospel. And it's really hard to have one without the other, to have gospel without law or law without gospel, because they're intertwined and they coexist. You cannot have the story of Jesus without the story of Israel. You can't make it simple and say, well, John, he's the old law person Because John's got gospel too. And you can't make it simple and say Jesus is the gospel person because Jesus has law too. And it's another interesting thing to remember that despite all of John's bluster and bravado, Jesus didn't entirely conform to John's expectations of who the Messiah was going to be. That one who is mightier than I who is coming. And we'll see this a little bit more next week in Matthew 11. Right, John had a certain idea in mind of who it was that was coming. He had expectations about the Messiah based on his tradition. But that was before Jesus showed up. And he has a way of blowing our expectations right out of the water, doesn't he? I think what Matthew is doing here as he's relaying this story about crazy Uncle John to us is telling us That our understanding of Jesus shouldn't throw out repentance and judgment from the Old Testament. But repentance and judgment needs to be reinterpreted in the light of Jesus' advent. It means something different because of him. Because of the forgiving, accepting, non-retaliatory, suffering servant Jesus, whose strength was actually in his meekness. And so we talked about tenses and we talked about transitions and finally I want to talk about accountability. Particularly the church and accountability because the church is not, this is a shocker here, so hold on. The church is not the kingdom of God. (gasps) No. But our relationship to that future when which has become the now, gives us a special place in God's kingdom. It gives us a mission as God's people. We're still broken. We still hurt each other and the world. And if you don't believe me, you just go talk to some people out there in the world. Go to a bar sometime. And you tell them, I'm a Christian. I go to church. You'll get some opinions, I have a feeling. Because we have hurt people. But we have been given a mission to represent and to live out the kingdom of God. Our mission is to allow God's reign, God's realm, to shine through us. To be the fragrant incense so that, you know, imagine it in your mind. When we're walking around, you see the little, like, smoke from God's incense casting off us. And people oh, what is that? That smells amazing. In my mind, it smells somewhere between bacon and frankincense. (laughs) Our mission is to let other people see what it looks like when the when is now. We've put words to this mission. We say it in our charge every week. I'm going to read it for you. You can read it along with me if you want to. Right, Our mission is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to honor God's will. We participate in God's healing of the world by encouraging discipleship, living love, kindling hope, inspiring beauty, and championing justice in our neighborhood, our local community, and the greater world through prayer, worship, and service. That's what we have said it looks like for us to show the world when then becomes now. And if you are anything like me, uh, my imagination is kind of stunted by what I've seen, what I've experienced. I need to have a new experience. I need to see somebody, live something out, show me what it looks like, model it for me to expand my imaginations. So I, I had a friend who was telling me about when he was early in his career, he had two mentors at work. Okay, you could call them supervisors, bosses. You know, he had these two people at work who made such a difference in his life. He said, they changed my life because they showed me what it looked like to live with honesty, integrity, and vulnerability. They expanded his imagination for what is possible. That could be shorthand for our job as the church to expand people's imagination. Show them what's possible. Show them what it could look like. That's the power of living differently. That's our mission, not just to win converts of Jesus, but to transform hearts. And the power of a transformed world is imagined by Isaiah, who pictured the predator and the prey laying down together and resting. You know that, see, the child will play with the viper and put his hand over the adder's den and not be hurt. It's what it looks like when knowledge of the Lord covers the earth like the waters. And since the future when out there on the horizon has become now, has entered the present we need to take a second look and try to hear John's words afresh. I think what John is trying to do is help hold people accountable. Trying to hold us accountable to what we say we believe. There was this really interesting study that was done at a small little uh, school on the East Coast. You might have heard of it. It's called Harvard. Uh, It was called How We Gather." And this study was done by psychologists and sociologists. And they tried to map out the landscape of the millennial generation and how they are um, kind of engaging with different communities that are fulfilling social needs and functions. Because more and more, that millennial part of the generation, of which I'm actually kind of right at the very early cusp of, uh, is becoming less and less connected to religious communities. And this study, How We Gather, uh, came up with six themes of what this landscape of connecting and gathering, six things that millennials are looking for in a community outside of the church. Uh, The first one is literally community, to be with other people, to be known. The second is personal transformation, social transformation working for something that's changing the world, purpose-finding, is it giving me meaning, creativity, and finally, accountability. And there are lots of different groups that were listed that millennials are engaging in that provide these six things. The one that caught my eye was CrossFit, which I always thought was a cult. Uh, for those of you who don't know, CrossFit is like a, it's like a super intense exercise group where people throw up together for fun. Uh, this group defines accountability as holding your other, uh, uh, holding yourself and others accountable towards working towards a defined goal. Right? CrossFit is a group that holds you accountable to show up to do the work that which you are expected to do, but also to hold your friends accountable to show up and do the work too. This is the same thing as Weight Watchers, as AA, your local high school football team. This is being part of a community. And do you find it surprising that human beings actually seek out accountability? This report talks about things like rigor and challenge and practice. And it reminds me of a conversation I had uh, with a, a, a Naval Academy midshipman. It's this, again, another little technical school on the East Coast. Um, I asked him, hey, why did you, you want to go to the Naval Academy? Because it's, you don't have a lot of freedom when you go to that kind of a school, right? They really own you. I said, well, tell me, why did you want to do that? And he responded that I wanted to challenge myself. Fair. And it got me thinking I wonder if anybody had ever articulated the challenge of trying to be a follower of Jesus, of living out the gospel call to die to yourself and to live for the sake of the world. I wonder if we missed an opportunity with that young man to challenge himself in another way. And it wouldn't surprise us that John the Baptist had a pretty large following. He got a big crowd because people are drawn to doing hard things. If you ever been to the start of a marathon, you'll see. It makes me wonder if the church hasn't fallen into the trap of not expecting too much, but maybe expecting too little of ourselves. What Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great 20th century theologian, called cheap grace, as opposed to costly grace. And somewhere within us, I think there is this need to be held accountable, to be called to a higher version of ourselves that we know is true. I had a, a guy that was at my last church, was a, spent a, an entire career as a shop teacher in, in the local high school in Oak Harbor, Washington. And uh, he used to tell me how all the, you know, the kids that weren't doing the right things used to go down to the bowling alley to hang out. That was the, the place you went. And he overheard uh, some of these kids talking in the hallway. And, you know, the one, one kid says to the other, uh, hey, I didn't see you down at the bowling alley last night. Where were you? He goes, ah, my dad won't let me go down there. And the kids kind of parted ways. And he heard the first one say under his breath, I wish my dad wouldn't let me go down to the bowling alley. He wanted to be challenged. He wanted to be held accountable. I don't particularly like being held to my viper like nature, as John would put it, because it's not comfortable. And yet, I know I need people in my life who will challenge me, who'll call me out, who'll hold me accountable. Luckily, I've got lots of family, and I've got some good friends who they do that job with gusto. Proverbs talks over and over about the person with wisdom welcoming rebuke, welcoming admonishment. You could say in our modern parlance, welcomes constructive criticism, being held accountable. But Proverbs also says not to waste your breath trying to correct somebody who's foolish. Holding somebody accountable, seeking to do that is trusting that that person is worth your time, worth the trouble, worth the energy, is not wasting your breath. That transformation is possible with that person. Because you don't waste your time with things that you don't value. To hold one another accountable is to value and to love them. And that's what we do here. As we seek together to live when the present is now in this in-between time straddling the two worlds. We're a community of showing the world God's love and holding ourselves accountable to that vision. And that's where we find ourselves this Advent. Amen? Amen. Hey, thank you for spending this time with us here at First Presbyterian Church. And I hope this was a message that brought you um, some insight into our scriptures as we continue to journey through the season of Advent. Again, I'll remind you, if you want to check out the full service, you can go to our YouTube page, and uh, we look forward to seeing you back here next week. Have a good, have a good week in Advent, and may you be blessed.